Daniel chapter 10, I'm going to jump right in as you're still uh, making your way there. Last week we focused on uh, three lessons from Daniel chapter 10. First of all, we looked at the importance of looking down the road. Uh, in our lives, you know, and, and, uh, and as we look down the road of our lives, asking that question, hey, what, what, what's the implications of the path that I'm, I'm currently on? You know, that, that great theologian Robert Plant uh, in, uh, <laughs> in his band Led Zeppelin there, I'm being facetious in case you didn't figure that out, uh, but he rightly said that uh, there's two paths that we can go by. Um, and, uh, and then he went on to say, you know, in, in, in his song that, you know, there's still time to change the road you're on, which is really a lie from Satan, because that's what he would like us to believe, that, hey, it's cool, you got time, you got plenty of time, but the problem is nobody knows the day or the hour, uh, and uh, there will come a day and a time when we give an account of our lives to God, and so it's really important that we take heed to how we're living our lives, and, and what is the path, what's the trajectory of my life, what am I doing uh, with my life? Life. And so um, that's, that's the first lesson we looked at last week in Daniel chapter 10 is, hey, uh, what road am I on? What path am I on? Daniel uh, here is he's in a time of mourning, looking at, you know, his, the nation of Israel there and they're in captivity in Babylon and the decree has gone out a couple of years before. Hey, go return to your homeland. And the majority of the Israelites did not return. They'd grown complacent and comfortable. Wrong path, wrong trajectory. He in in mourning over it. And that's the second point that we looked at uh, was the imperative of our mourning over our sin. That so often we are content to just sort of sweep our sin under the rug and and to become complacent in our sin. Uh, And um, that that is always a grave mistake. And so we looked at that last week, just Daniel mourning over the spiritual state and condition. Uh, that his that his nation uh, had fallen into, his people had fallen into. The third we, thing we looked at last week uh, was the implications of having others in our life who can uh, help us to fight and to wage war against the enemy. We saw this angel coming to see uh, Daniel, how he was delayed and how he called for reinforcements. And, and we're going to look at that more today and, and some implications uh, of that um, uh, as we expand on that. But, you know, the, the idea there that all of us need those people that are going to come alongside us and that are, uh, are going to to uh, equip us and to assist us in, in walking this life of faith. The Bible says uh, that, that we need one another. It says that we're to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The Bible says that we're to carry one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, the Bible says as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of, of his friend. And so we need one another, and we looked at that uh, last week. What we're going to do today is we, we sort of shift gears, still here in chapter 10. I want to, I want to look and take some lessons uh, from the text, um, discovering some, some very practical lessons on prayer uh, here in the chapter. And, uh, and before we dig in, just uh, by way of illustration, um, any, any of y'all ever been to the Highland Games? They have them uh, all over the place, a few of you. I married into a Scottish family. My wife, uh, she's half Irish, she's half Scottish. Family reunions are fun uh, and experience, fun experience there. But uh, they, her whole family involved in their Scottish heritage. Her brothers uh, play the bagpipes. They actually were on the, uh, they, 
their band, the L.A. Scots, were world champions several years back. They won the world championship in Scotland. Um, and uh, my kids, you know, uh, little Scotty used to wear the kilt and stuff. And when we go to the Highland Games, my girls would do the, the Highland dancing. Uh, Brenda used to Highland dance. I've never in her life seen her do the, the Highland dance. She will not do any Scottish dancing for me. Um, but she used to do it at one time, I, at least I'm told. Um, but we would go to the Highland Games, and they would have all kinds of, you know, events there. They've got the, the, the caber toss, you know, that's where they throw the telephone pole-looking things. They do that. And they have the, the pipe band competitions and the Scottish dancing competitions. One of the things they have there, which, which is fascinating to watch, is they have these trained sheepdogs. And they will, they'll, they'll have competitions where they're actually herding the sheep, and it's, and it's fascinating to sit there and watch it because the way they train these, these sheepdogs is that they're, they, they take all of this independent action, and they're really good at what they do, and they listen attentively to the, to the whistles and the calls and all of, the, of the, the, the shepherd. But one of the things that they do, uh, which is, is, is such a perfect illustration of prayer, is that as, as soon as they finish executing the command, they come back and they sit at their master's feet. And then, you know, just waiting attentively, just watching their master, just waiting for that next instruction. And that, for us, is such a, a picture of prayer, just this attitude and this, this idea of waiting at our master's feet and just being attentive uh, to our master. And so we're going we're gonna to dig in here to chapter 10, learn some, some important lessons on prayer. We left off uh, in uh, verse, I think, 15, but we're going to back up, pick it up in verse 10, where we read Daniel chapter 10, verse 10, Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your word. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left uh, alone there with the kings of Persia. Uh, Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. I want you to notice there in verse 12 that uh, this angel says, From the first day that Daniel humbled himself before God, his prayer was heard and the answer was set. And for many, you know, when you think about prayer, it's, it's kind of like the national anthem uh, at the, the Super Bowl game. It's just sort of that, that formality that you got to get out of the way before the, the actual you know, game, the actual events start happening. And a lot of people have that attitude about prayer. This is just the, the formality. This is just the, 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 the thing that we got to get out of the way before we get down to, to the real nitty-gritty, to the real business, to the real important things. Uh, Oswald Chambers says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And so this this attitude, this idea, this first point that I would have you write down is that God answers prayer when we are seeking his will. 
God answers prayer when we are seeking his well. Again, look there in verse 12, because here's what this angel says to Daniel. He says, then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you, and here it is, set your heart to understand. Excuse me. Set your heart to understand. And you might underline that phrase. That word set, it literally means to, to give, to put or to set. Uh, if you were with us when we went through Romans chapter 12, uh, Romans 12.1 has kind of conveys a similar idea. Romans 12.1 exhorts us that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is our reasonable service. And that word present means to set near. Same idea here as we read this Hebrew word, uh, to the moment you set your heart. Uh, similar idea. Uh, to, to be able to, to set, to, to present, to take your heart and, and, and present it to the Lord. The, the second word in that phrase, set your heart, have you look at that, that, that word heart. Maybe you've got, you know, some of the other translations might have the word mind. If, you, if you're reading from the NIV this morning, you see it says set your mind. And it's, it is that. It sets your heart. It sets your mind. Uh, it's, it's, it's really talking about setting your whole being. And so, so the picture that this angel is conveying to Daniel is, listen, you took, you, you took your heart, you took your mind, you took your will, you took everything about you, and you set this before God. Not only that, he says, this is why you did it. You did it to understand. And that word understand, it means to have discernment, to have insight, to have understanding. And you put them all together. And what's being conveyed here is that Daniel let go of anything and everything. He set his entire being before God. He's seeking one thing and one thing only. He wants to know the mind of God. He wants to know the will of God. He he comes to the Lord not with any preconceived ideas. He doesn't come to the Lord with any preconceived agenda. And how often do we do that in our prayer? It's like, Lord, here's my problem, and here's the answer. And can you give me this answer? We have a preconceived idea about, well, this is what I want you to do. Or sometimes, you know, we're even generous to God. We say, hey, look, I'll give you, Lord, Lord I got a problem, and, and I'll give you your choice. Because, you know, I see that you could do, you know, door number one. You could do door number two. Or you could even do door number three, God. Hey, whichever you want to do. And God says, how about this window over here that you never even thought about? And, and so the idea is that this, this angel conveying to Daniel, look, when you came to the Lord in prayer. Listen, you, you were seeking his will. You set your heart, your mind, your everything. You, you, you didn't have any preconceived ideas. You didn't have any agenda for God. You just presented yourself to God to understand his will. And I want you to notice that the angel emphasizes the point that it's for this reason that his prayer was heard. Notice again there in verse 12, he says, You set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard. He emphasizes this point. James chapter 4, uh, in James chapter 4, he asks this. He says, Where do fights, wars and fights come from among you? Says, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because, and here it is, you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You see, prayer is not to get our will done in heaven. Prayer is to get God's will done here on earth. 
John Wesley said this. He says, God, God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. And see, so the, the, this idea of prayer is that, is that we are setting everything before God, seeking his mind, his will, his heart. Now, with that in mind, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus giving instruction on prayer. We pick it up in verse 6. And he says this, he says, But you, when you pray, and you might just want to circle the word when there, because he's not saying, hey, if you pray. It's understood that you're going to pray. He says, you, when you pray, um, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. And so he says, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so Jesus saying here, listen, you need to pray in accordance with with the Father's will. And and you need to to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And you ask the question, uh, so why pray at all? I mean, really, what Jesus is saying here is, look, when you go to the the Father, don't go with any preconceived notions. Don't go with any preconceived ideas. Don't think that you got to, you know, keep repeating yourself. He heard you the first time. You know, just go to him and pray, hey, Lord, what is your will? And and I don't know about you, but for me, as I read this, that's that's one of the questions that comes to my mind when I read it. If, I, if I'm supposed to pray in accordance with his will, and if he sa- tells me elsewhere in his word that that's when he's going to hear me, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but, but when, when, when we're praying as well, I'm like, well, why even pray at all if I just am, am praying in accordance with, with his will? Am I the only one who thinks that way? I mean, sometimes you come to this and you're like, well, why even pray if, if we're just going to do what you want to do anyway? Why, why pray about it in the first place, you know? Well, look again at verse 8. Because what he says there in verse 8 is very key. He says, you know, don't, you know, be like them. Don't, don't be, you know, vain repetition over and over again. He says, for your father knows. Here's the key. Your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. Your father knows. This is why we ask in accordance with his will. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving my truck. I drove in. I came, coming in here to church, actually. And uh, all of a sudden, um, I'm noticing this horrible smell, and I look down, and, and the, the vent on my, on my dash, it's just got antifreeze just pouring out the vent. Now, I've got the air conditioning running, but there's this antifreeze, this green ooze just dripping out. I'm like, well, that's not very good, <laughs> you know? And um, I'm, uh, 
I'm not really good with my cars. I just sort of drive them into the ground, the truck especially, because I'm like, well, it's got, you know, 208,000 miles or something on it. And so I'm just driving this sucker into the ground. You know, I got it for 3,500 bucks like 10 years ago. I'm getting my money's worth out of this thing. Brenda's like, why don't, you, why don't you get yourself a new car? I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm not, you know, I, I don't have to wash it. I don't have to do anything with it, you know? <laughs> I think mean, at this point, the dirt's all that's holding it together. But it's, but it, but it's got some serious issues. So I, I take the, the truck. I go, man, I got I to gotta get this thing in. Because, uh, you know, you can't have antifreeze pouring out onto your floorboard, you know, there inside the car. And I think if it didn't smell, I probably would. I probably just would have put a towel down there or something. But it gave me a headache to drive the thing. So um, anyway, so I took it in. Now, I'm not a mechanic. I, some guys are. You know, I was, I went, I was at my, my parents' house yesterday, and my, my brother-in-law was there the day before yesterday, and, and I was showing him this little engine on, on YouTube. This guy had built this little miniature V8, and he's talking about, oh, it's got this, and look at where the spark plugs is, and it's even a Hemi, and I'm like, how do you know this stuff? And some guys are like that. They know they're, they're all car guys. I'm not. Um, and so I took it into the mechanic. Now, here's all I knew. I knew I had a problem. And I, and I could tell you some of the symptoms, but I didn't, I didn't have the first clue how to fix it. But the mechanic knew. You see, and so when I went to the mechanic, that's kind of this, the, the, the example of us going to the Lord in prayer. I know I got a problem, but I don't have a clue how to fix this thing. And so I'm coming to the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, here's the problem. Here's my situation. Here's my circumstance. Now, I'm trusting the mechanic to be able to, to, to diagnose and to say, here's the issue, here's the solution. And, that, and as it is with my truck, that's the way it is with the Lord. Hey, I don't know really what's going on here, but here's the deal, and can you fix it? And the mechanic's like, well, yeah, here's what's going on. You got this and you got that. I'm like, whatever, I gotta, I'll take your word for it. How much is it going to cost? You know? and, and, and they fix it. And, and so this is, this is this attitude of prayer. When we're going to pray, you know, in accordance with the Lord's will and just say, Lord, I'm not going to come with any preconceived ideas or notions or pr- pr- presume to tell you how to, how to fix things. All I'm going to do is I'm going to say, I trust you. And I'm coming to you to fix this thing. I'm coming to you for, for uh, you know, your will and your discernment uh, on this. Lord, I, I, don't, I, I don't know what to ask you for. I'm just going to ask you. Romans 8.26 tells us, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we don't, know, we don't know what we ought to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for, intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so we pray because our, our Father knows what we need. You know, another reason why we pray is because, well, the Bible tells us whatever we ask in his name, he promises to give us. Whatever we ask in his name, he promises to give. Now, that doesn't mean that we're to treat God like a celestial piñata, you know? And a lot of people do. They treat, they treat God like he's a piñata and prayer like it's a stick, and they just beat on him like a piñata, you know? And they think, well, hey, he promised to give me whatever I want. That's not the idea. Not the idea at all. See, we're, we're, to, we're to ask in his name. Got a great illustration of that for you. True story, 1862, there, there's a man sitting out in front of the White House, and he's sobbing. And there's this little kid that, that, that comes up to him, and he says, what's wrong, mister? And the guy just, he's, he's sobbing, he says, uh, my, my brother, he's sentenced to be executed. 
And the only one that can commute his sentence is the president. He's been wrongly accused. I'm certain if the president heard the facts that, that he'd release my brother, that he'd pardon my brother. He said, but they won't let me in to see him. And the kid goes, well, I'll get you in to see him. And so he, he, the, the man follows the kid, and they come up to the guard. He's thinking, oh, this is you know, where it ends. They walk right past the guards. They walk right into the White House. They walk past every, all the, the attendants there in the White House. They walk right into the Oval Office. And here this young son of Abraham Lincoln brings this man before his dad. Great illustration that, man, when we pray in his name. See, the idea here is that, man, this guy couldn't walk into the presence of the father. But when he was with the son, he walked right into the presence of the father. And see, that's this idea. The idea is that we have access to the father through the son to to boldly ask those things that will bear fruit consistent with his will. That, that, that we can ask him for those things that will bear fruit that are consistent with his character and, and with his nature. John 15, 16 tells us, You did not choose me, this is Jesus speaking, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And so this idea is that, man, God answers prayer when we humbly seek his will. Daniel, humbly seeking the will of the Father, the angel shows up and he says, for that reason, God's answered your prayer. Because you've humbly sought the Lord. And in that humbly seeking of the Lord, as we talk about this attitude of prayer, another reason we pray is because when we pray in his name, the result is joy. John 16, 24. Jesus said, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. There's this beautiful picture in Acts chapter 2 as you read there. And what you see is that the, the disciples are all gathered together. And it tells us that as they're gathered together that they're praying together. And there's this sweet unity and fellowship that's taking place. There, as as they're meeting, they're unified, they're sharing, they're helping one another with their needs, they're they're sharing meals together. And, And as they're praying together, the Lord just knitting their hearts together with Him and with one another, and the result is joy. It's just this beautiful picture of joy that we see. And, and what happens there is that the, Acts chapter 2 kind of concludes with, with the, the idea of the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that joy? Who doesn't want to have that kind of connection, that kind of relationship? It just creates a hunger. And we hear testimonies all the time. People come into the, the fellowship here and they're alone. They're outside of a relationship with the Lord. Someone invited them to church, or for whatever reason they came in, and the thing that people pick up on immediately is the joy that we experience here. Because we are connected and like-minded, and we're connected with the heart of the Lord. And we're enjoying fellowship with Him. Intimately related to the, to the Lord uh, through prayer as we pray together and, and fellowship with one another, and people see that, and they want it. They just desire to have Man, I want what you've got. It sounds so cliche, but when you have somebody actually say that to you, you realize, man, we have what the world doesn't. We have joy. We have peace. 
Let me ask you the question, do you have joy this morning? See, because the Bible says that, that, that it can only be found in this intimate communion with the Lord. And we have that through prayer. And so Daniel, not only do we see uh, back uh, in, in Daniel 10, not only do we see that, that, that it's this intimate connection that God is answering his prayer because he's intimately seeking as well, but we also notice that God hears our prayers. That's my second point. When we approach him in reverence and in humility. He hears our prayer when we approach him in reverence and humility. Look again there in verse 12. This angel speaking to Daniel. Don't fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand. Daniel's prayers were seeking his mind, his will, God's mind, God's will. Not preconceived notions. Not, hey, here, let me prescribe to you what you should do, God. But no, I must set everything before you. That's number one. But number two... Man, he approached him with with humility. That's what he goes on to say. You set your heart to understand and to, here it is, humble yourself before God. I just might maybe just have you circle that phrase, humble yourself. Jesus told a, a parable in Luke's gospel about two men who went up to pray. He said, there's a religious leader and there's a tax collector. These two men going up to, play now, to pray. Now, when, when Jesus tells a parable, a parable is, a, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so what Jesus is trying to do is show people by pictures, by these earthly stories, what heaven's all about. So he says, this, this religious leader, this guy that you would think is, you know, connected with the Lord, he goes up and he begins praying. He's like, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I, I tithe and I serve and I, I, do, I do all of these things. The operative word there is I. I, I, me, me, I'm great, you know. And then he says this tax collector comes to, to pray. And he, Jesus describes the tax, or rather not the tax collector, the, he, he, yeah, the tax collector. He describes him altogether differently. I'll put it on the screen for you. He says this, but the tax collector, Luke 18, 13, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who, and that's the key, humble themselves will be exalted. Again, 1 Peter 5, Peter says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with, here's the word, humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How, how many of you are parents of teenagers? Show of hands. A few of you, all the ones that, are, that, that, that look beaten down, right? <laughs> parents of teenagers. They're not all that bad. But listen, have you ever had to try to have a conversation? It's not that teens don't have the corner on this market. They just do it better than they've had a lot of practice. Um, anybody have children have gone through this. But how many of you parents of teenagers, especially, you've gone through a situation where your kids, they, they just won't listen. They're rebellious. And you have a conversation with them where they just come to you in a prideful state and they think they know it all. And you parents of teenagers are saying, oh, so you mean a conversation with my teenager?" Because, you know, you will have conversations and they look at you like, oh, you poor foolish man. How, how have you lived all of these years being so foolish? Then they will presume to tell you in pride, you know, about. And, and so you, you deal with this with your kids. And I'll tell you, at, at my house, what would happen is 
when, when I would talk to my kids, I'm, I'm open all day long. Hey, I'm happy, I'm happy to talk to you. We'll have a conversation. I'm happy to talk to you. You disagree with me? Great. Let's talk about it. And as long as they're humble and respectful, we'll have a conversation. Up to a certain point, but you know, hey, let, let, me, let me talk through it with you. But the moment they became arrogant and prideful and, and resistant, hey, that's when, that's when the conversation's over. We're done talking. And God is like that with us. He, he will, at a certain point, he, he'll be done talking to us. I'm not going to hear you. Not, I'm not, I'm not, we're not having, you know, this conversation. See, God hears our prayers when we approach him with reverence and in humility. But if you're going to approach him in pride and in arrogance, he's not going to hear your prayer. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, if my people, this is God speaking, who are called by my name will, what's the word? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So let me ask you the question, are you humble or are you proud in your prayers? Are you humble or are you, or are you proud in the way that you approach God? And, and all of us would like to say, well, I'm the humble guy. You know, you read these questions like, oh, that's the bad guy. That's the good guy. And we all paint ourselves as the good guy, you know. And we see everybody else as the bad guy. We hear a lesson in church and we're thinking, oh, I can think of 12 people that that applies to. But we always paint ourselves in the, the good light. But, you know, just thinking through this. Because here's what I'm thinking through this question. I'm like, okay, am I humble or proud in my prayers? Well, and then God reminds me of some of the conversations I've had with him. Maybe you've had with him. You know, where you, you think, okay, Lord, you got to fix my spouse. I mean, really, seriously, think about the times you, Lord, you got to fix them. You know, they're this and they're that and they the other and whatever it is. My husband, God, whatever. My wife, God. And how much more affected effective maybe would our prayers be if we if we said if we didn't pray lord fix them maybe we need to concentrate on lord fix me lord i'm having issues in my marriage and lord fix me show me what you need to do in me show me how how this is this has gone wrong for me i think that's a word for the lord for for some of y'all married folks Maybe you got a situation going on right now in, in your marriage, and, and maybe the problem is you haven't spent enough time humbling yourself before the Lord to say, Lord, what are you showing me in this situation? What are you showing me in my marriage? What are you showing me that I need to, to, to take to heart and to follow and to obey and, and, and to do? Adam Clark said this. He said, prayer requires more of the heart than the tongue. That's worthy of writing down right there. It requires more of the heart. The attitude is, hey, look, talk is cheap. And I can say a lot of proud, boastful things to God. I can say a lot of arrogant things in my prayers. No, it's, it's about aligning your heart with the heart of the Lord. It's about approaching him in reverence and in humility to say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Well, not only does God answer prayer when we're seeking his will and God hear our prayer when we approach him in reverence and in humility, but I want you to notice the third thing. God answers prayer in his timing. 
Look at verse 13. Here's what the angel says to Daniel. He says, But the prince of the king of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. God answers prayer in accordance to his timing. Wasn't it within the realm of God's power and authority to have the angel that he sent get to Daniel on the very day, in the very moment, in the very hour, in fact, in the very second that Daniel prayed? Doesn't God have the power to have this angel be there right at that moment? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. And yet he's delayed 21 days. Now, we know the Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That means that, that the Spirit of God, God Almighty, is, is greater than, than Satan. Duh, right? And so he does whatever he wants. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. First um, Peter chapter 3 says that every power and authority is subject to God, in case you didn't know that. And we see examples of this throughout the scriptures. And the idea is that, man, God had to allow, here if we look at this delay, God had to allow it. He had to allow this interference and this delay of the messenger that he sent. We'll talk about the reason for that in a minute. But the idea is that throughout scripture, there are examples of this this areas where the, the demonic realm is allowed to operate and to, you know, delay things and, and, and to cause problems. I mean, you look at the example of, uh, of Job. Here in, in the, the introdu- introduction to the book of Job, God and Satan are having a conversation, and God's saying, hey, check out my boy Job. He's, he's an awesome man of God. And, uh, and Satan's like, well, yeah, but you got a hedge of protection around him. This is a lot of times you hear people, you know, saying what we pray as Christians, Lord, just pray for a hedge of protection around that person. And, you know, non-believers or or people that, you know, haven't haven't read through Job, they're like, what is a hedge of protection? I guess I could figure it out, but that just sounds so weird, so random. We get this from the book of Job, Satan's conversation with God. He's like, I can't get to him because you got a hedge of protection around him, which which tells us that, that Satan couldn't do anything unless God allowed it. God had drawn that hedge around. He's like, no touching. Keep your hands off my boy Job, you know. And so then he has this conversation, and, and well, you guys know the outcome. I mean, I, it's why I hope that God never says to Satan, check out my boy Ted, you know. <laughs> you know, Lord, let's just keep, let's just, we're good, man. Just keep that hedge of protection around me. I don't want to have that kind of deal, you know. But he allows, he, he lets Satan get at Job. Now, now you, you read through it, and, and what's happening? Well, God is using this, and he's allowed the enemy to mess with Job, not because he doesn't love Job, but because he's doing a work. And we see God using what Satan intended for evil. He's using it for good. Again, we see it over and over throughout the Scriptures when Jesus was betrayed in the garden. You know, there he was, and Peter's like, oh, heck no, pulls his sword out, hacks off Malchus's ear, the servant of the Most High Priest, you know. And he's like, well, you know, this isn't, we're not, you can't be doing this kind of thing. And Jesus says, man, put your sword away, plops Malchus's ear back on, heals him, you know, kind of deal. And, and, and what Jesus says to, to Peter, he's like, I could have called down 12 legions of angels to help me out here. 
thousands of angels. Could have called them down right now. God's doing work here. And so, so again, here the enemy seemingly prevailing, cutting in, doing something, you know, but we know, thank God, that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross. And Jesus said, put your sword away, and I'm not going to call the angels. I'm going to allow the demonic realm to be at operation through these people, and I'm going to allow them to nail me to the cross, and I'm going to allow myself to suffer and die because I'm going to die on the cross for the sins of all mankind in their place, for their sin, so God could accomplish his will and his purposes. And in that moment, the disciples don't understand. Jesus had been telling them for three and a half years, and they're just, you know, they're, they don't get it. And so often we don't get it. And here, you know, Daniel, he's been waiting and praying and fasting, and, you know, days turn into a week, and week turn into multiple weeks. And nothing's coming, man. God's at work. He's allowing it. He's allowed this delay. Think about Paul. He, he was allowed to have this thorn in his flesh. We don't know what the thorn was. Some, some speculate he had some sort of an eye condition. You know, some speculate he had a really, you know, hostile wife. There's actually those commentators that think that the thorn in his flesh, he was talking about his wife who was so adamantly opposed to his, his ministry. Pure speculation. Um, you know, we, we don't, I think that says more about the commentator's marriage than it says about Paul's marriage. But, um, but at any rate, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. Put on the screen for you. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. God had been showing him amazing things. Um, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And the reason I include this and put the scripture on the screen for you is just that phrase, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. You see, just this, 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 this prince of the kingdom of Persia, this demonic spirit interfering with and delaying this angel 21 days is a picture of God operating sovereignly in his timing. And listen, God's going to operate sovereignly in his timing in your life. And I know this. I know that there are many of you here struggling through things and you've been praying for things. And then there is that part of you that says, God, do you not hear? Do you not care? Why? Why is this? Go- what, it, what, what is possibly going on here? Do I have, am, have I, am I in sin somehow? Are you, are you not, are you, are you just turned a deaf ear to me? I mean, Daniel, I mean, we know this man. He's been seeking the Lord and standing firm in the Lord. God loves just where this man of God is. It's not that God's not hearing his prayer. It's that, and, and this is speculation, but I think we can, we can strongly suspect this. Clearly, God is allowing this delay, and he's got a work that he wants to accomplish in Daniel's life. Daniel's fasting, he's praying. God's like, man, you need to cook a little longer, bro. We just need to leave this sucker in the oven, man. Let's let this thing cook. And so this is, this is what, what God's doing. He's delaying. And maybe God's delaying in your life. Maybe this morning there's something you've just been praying about and you've been seeking the Lord over. And Hey, listen, trust God. Because he answers prayer in his time. In his will. 
Again, I wonder what God's making you wait for. As you think about that, turn to John chapter 11. And what's God making you wait for? What's he doing here? John chapter 11, interesting story here. Pick it up in verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, Lazarus being their brother, as a matter of fact. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore the sisters sent to him, sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Hey, this is your friend, Jesus, your close friend. And he's sick, he needs you, Lord. And when Jesus heard that, verse 4, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, and here's the key, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So you're thinking, oh, good, so he went to heal him. No, verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Do you see how the Scripture is setting this up? The scripture is making it very clear because God loved them and because God had that desire to, to do what was best for them. He waited. He delayed two extra days. And then after this, well, actually skip down to verse 17. I'll just pick it up there uh, in verse 17. It says, uh, so when Jesus came, because he delays, he finally comes. When Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. So Jesus delayed a couple of days. It took him a couple of days to get there. And so now this guy, he's already been dead in the tomb four days because he loves him. Yes, verse 18, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now, what do you think's going on there? And Martha and Mary, is Mary, she's sitting in the house? Is she too mourned to come? Is she mad? Because I'm not going we sent for him, and he's late, and I, you know, what's going on there? Well, we know now Martha goes, and she meets Jesus, and Martha said to Jesus, uh, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. What happened, God? We prayed. We asked you to come. You didn't come. What, do you hate me? Don't you listen to me? If you only had been here. Can you put yourself in that position? Like when you pray and God is delayed and you're like, you're thinking, God, it would have been, what? It wouldn't have been nothing for you to have my loan clause. Like, you know, everything's there. Why why isn't that happening? God, it wouldn't wouldn't have been nothing for you to have that car stop at that light and not proceed through. Lord, it wouldn't have been anything at all for you. To, to have the cancer that I have just be, ta- that's nothing. Nothing at all. Why? Why? 
Verse 22, she continues, But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will, will give you, Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, She still doesn't get it. I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said verse to him, verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Give me your attention. Jesus made Mary and Martha wait because he wanted to reveal himself and his plan to them. If you've read this, you know the end of the story. He goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Gives to us a picture of resurrection from death. Jesus doing a work all along. Look, I'm the resurrection and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And so because he loves Mary and Martha, and because he loves Lazarus, because Lazarus, because he has uh, his sovereign work to do, he allows a delay in their life. God answers prayer in his timing. Memorize that. Because God will answer the prayer in your life according to his timing, not according to your timing. Not according to the things that you think are important. He's going to answer the things that are in accordance with his timing. And this is exactly what we see here in Daniel chapter 10. The angel is delayed. Daniel's been praying. Daniel's been fasting. It's been three weeks and a few days. What on earth? God's operating according to his time frame. Daniel, you got to cook, man. I got to work I got to do in you. I got to prepare you. I'm going to give you something that's going to floor you. It's going to make you literally sick. You need to be in a place where you got to receive it. So what are you waiting on this morning? What is it you've been doubting? I think it's a word from the Lord for you to just listen. I got I to gotta trust in the Lord. I got to wait on the Lord. I want to close on this final point. My last point is this, that the result of prayer is that God strengthens us. Verse 15. The result of prayer is that God strengthens us. When he had spoken such words to me, I, this is Daniel, turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Hey, listen, the result of prayer is that God strengthens us. And there's a lot I could say about this, and I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to illustrate it with a story, and then we're going to have a time of prayer. The result of prayer is that God strengthens us. In, uh, in November 1873, there was a Chicago lawyer. His name was Horatio Spafford. And uh, he was married to his wife, Anna, and um, they had four daughters, Annie, Maggie, Bessie, Tanetta. 
and they had a, a, they had a, a young son as well, a, four, a four-year-old son. And, um, and so there in 1873, this, this well-to-do lawyer with his beautiful family, he'd invested a ton into Chicago, lots of Chicago real estate. He, he, he'd, he'd amassed quite a fortune. And then the Chicago fire hit and wiped his fortune out. And uh, the following year, his four-year-old son contracted scarlet fever and died. And so the family was just reeling from it. And so they decided that they needed to, to take some time away and that they were going to take a vacation uh, in, in England. And uh, Horatio had some urgent business that he had to tend to. So he sent Anna and the four girls on a boat to go to England. And he was going to come behind them and catch up. And uh, on their way on this boat, the ship collided with another ship. And they both sank within 10 minutes. There were 300 people that, that were killed uh, in the disaster. And um, as the ship was sinking, Anna was there with her, with her four daughters and her last memory was her youngest daughter, her baby, being torn from her arms by the violent action of the sinking of the ship and the waves and all. And um, the news had reached Horatio that there was a shipwreck. He was beside himself. And nine days later, he received a telegram from Anna. And there was only two words on the telegram. It said, saved alone. She's telling him that he'd lost all of his daughters now, too. And it, as you can imagine, the man was heartbroken. And so he, he got on the very next ship, and as they, were, as they were traveling there for him to meet up with his wife in England, the ship stopped over the exact spot of the shipwreck where his daughters had died. And there in that place, Horatio would later explain that a miraculous thing happened. That as he was there in that place, as he was praying to God, that this, this remarkable peace came over him. God strengthened him in a supernatural way. Um, and, and he reminded him there, and in, in God strengthened him, that, that God is faithful even in desperate times. And, and I think for us, we need to be reminded that, that, that God is faithful even in desperate times. Some of you today, you're, you're in desperate times. And you need to know that, that, man, God's going to allow the things to happen in your life according to his sovereign timetable. And, he, and if you will humble yourself, if you will seek him in humility, if you'll trust in his timing, he'll strengthen you. So Horatio, in that spot, as he's sitting over the very exact waters where his, his family, he's lost his family. As God strengthened him, he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul.